Hello, and welcome to episode 8 of the East Anglian Theatre Podcast. My lords, ladies and gentlemen, brace your breeches and girdle your loins for what's to come on another epic journey into the fantastical realms of the theatre world in the East Anglian region. I'm your host, Ray Tempesta. As yet, I've not been replaced by a more competent person, so I'm afraid you'll just have to put up with me. Whilst I think of myself as the driver on our road trip through the goings-on in the region, you probably look upon me as the backseat driver who refuses to concede that the sat-nav knows best. Anyway, if you find your desire to hurl me out of the car window getting stronger, don't worry, there's another passenger coming along for the ride shortly. For those not on board with my boring metaphor, I'm referring to the part of the episode where I interview a guest. That's coming up soon, but first, here's my hastily rehashed message about the social media pages. One, two, three, go. The East Anglian Theatre Podcast has a Facebook and Twitter account. Like them, follow them, lie to your friends about how much you enjoy the podcast and get them to follow it too. The social media pages usually feature links for upcoming shows and auditions that I mention, of which there's usually maybe four or five in each episode. But of course, do feel free to get in touch if you'd like me to share a post, mention a show or audition opportunity on the podcast, or even if you'd like to be my interviewee in a future episode. Right, now that's taken care of. What have I been up to theatre-wise recently? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I had Sabrina Poole on as a guest, who was directing Orca at the Sewell Barn Theatre. I went to go and see the product of her work on the final night, and for what it's worth, here's what I thought. The tagline of Orca is what makes a community tolerate the unthinkable, and so I was expecting a reasonable-sized cast to form the community, so it was a bit of a surprise that there were only five characters in the show. Not that it mattered, as the five actors that they had were strong enough to carry the story by themselves, and the good thing about each of them having so much time on stage is that you can give a good analysis of their performance. What I will say straight off the bat is that I enjoyed the show, but to be perfectly honest, given that the play won the Papatango Prize for new writing, I was expecting a little more from the story itself. This is of course just my view, and far be it for me to say what constitutes good writing, but nothing about the plot particularly grabbed me. Maybe I missed something in it, who knows, but all I know is that my personal yardstick when analysing a show is, would I want to be in it? And with Orca, I'd have said no. To me, what made the show was strong performances by the cast, innovative set design and, and staging, and great use of music throughout. That seems a stupid thing to say, as these are all major components of any great show, but ultimately, if the script isn't all that, then the show can only reach a certain height. As I said, that, that's my opinion, but that's not a reflection on the efforts of the cast and production team. Uh, to give you a little more insight, the title Orca refers to the fact that the play takes place on a remote island where the fish stocks often fall prey to orca pods. Presumably to appease the gods, every year the community reenacts a sacrifice where one of the island's young girls is offered up, and the sacrificial lamb is known as a daughter. Only something a bit more sinister appears to befall the island's daughters each year. Anyway, to the performance itself, and you had five actors who each brought a different type of energy on stage with them. Emma Smith played the focal point of the show, a character called Fan, who, who desperately wants to be selected as the island's daughter, a role to which she is naive about the full horrors that this involves. Sarah Jenkins played her elder sister, Maggie, who knows only too well what being the island's daughter is all about. Now, Emma was a joy to watch, illuminating the space with a sort of sweet, idealistic innocence. Her projection was superb throughout, and every line delivered 
perfectly, which was no mean feat given some of the flowery sentiments that her character came out with, which would have been easy to play in a, a, a melodramatic way, but she got the balance spot on, all the way up to the crushing moment at the end where her fate is realised. Sarah had a slightly harder part to fulfil as the badly damaged elder sister, but she pulled it off well. She mostly had a, an, an unrelentingly gloomy and at times desperate part to play, but Sarah created some genuinely sweet moments when playing opposite her younger sister as it gave her the opportunity to show her softer, more maternal side. The two sisters' father was played by Pip Dunn, and he portrayed another damaged character. Pip was able to show the full range, though, the, the sweet, caring, paternal side of his character when dealing with Fan, the, the struggle with not knowing how to deal with his seemingly wayward eldest daughter, the, the turmoil at, at, at trying to preserve his, his business and reputation. And he did it so well. It was a, a really impressive performance and another actor who displayed an excellent ability to, to keep a lid on, on some of the more dramatic moments without underselling it or overacting it in any way. The same could also be said of Abby Tacon, who, who played Gretchen. Her character was the island's daughter last year, and when we first come across her, she's seemingly just washed ashore and is barely conscious. Rather than playing up to the horrors that she's fallen victim to, though, Abby gave her a really fragile interpretation and was thoroughly convincing as someone struggling to come to terms with, well, enormous trauma, it seems. And finally, Philip Rowe, as the sinister yet smiling father, the island's priest and also predator, Philip's part was by no means the largest in this, but he probably gave the most impactful performance. There was this constant air of menace beneath the apparent charm that he brought on stage with him, and he played his part in creating such an unsettling atmosphere. The set for the show, too, was genuinely impressive. Their, their set designer had built the front end of a boat to form the setting for the opening scene, which was then winched up by ropes by one of the casts, which allowed us to see the underside, where a makeshift fold-out table had been cleverly installed and, and shelving was also housed. It was very innovative, and, and the use of the ropes to hoist up the boat just added to the feel of a, a, a working community. As I said, whether I was just missing something with a script or not, I'm not sure, but that shouldn't detract from what was a superbly performed and directed piece of work. So well done to everyone involved. But now we move on to the main feature and I'd like to introduce you to someone who has been at the heart of Sudbury Dramatic Society for the best part of three decades and is currently sitting on their committee. Not literally, of course. Her name is Sarah Knight and she knows the group inside and out, having written a book about the long-standing theatre company. She's here with me now, so without further ado, which is a shame because I do so enjoy an ado, here is an interview with Sarah Knight. Hi Sarah, um, thanks for joining me. We'll start with um, your association to Sudbury Dramatic Society, or SDS for short. How long have you been with the group? And... Um, how did you get involved? Well, I joined in 1996. Um, I'd moved to slightly closer to Sudbury than I had been before um, and was looking for something a bit different. And I met, I met the Sudbury Dramatic Society people and I auditioned and I got a part in Alan Bennett's Single Spies, playing Carol in, um, in The Englishman Abroad half of that programme because it's in two halves. And um, the other half later became my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and so I stayed, I've stayed with the society ever since. I've been on the committee now for about the last five years. So naturally, Sudbury means quite a lot to you, I'd imagine. And 
SDS, I'll, I'll continue calling them from here on, S- SDS celebrated their, their centenary last year. And to commemorate it, I, I gather you put together a book charting the group's first hundred years. It would obviously be a bit daft of me to um, to ask you what the book is about. <laughs> but um, c- can you explain a bit about how you came to be involved in, in producing it and, and tell us a bit more about the, the process of putting it all together? Well, we were um, sitting around a committee thinking we've got to do something for the, for the centenary. It all got obviously completely scuppered by COVID, um, <clears throat> all the plans that we had. But one of the plans was to write the book. And as I am a published author anyway, it landed in my lap. We have three filing cabinets full of archive material in the theatre, um, which I scoured. And I, we also have the granddaughter of one of the original founders of the society, still a member and still active on the board of the theatre. And she'd been doing a lot of research about what she calls the space dust that formed together to become Sudbury Dramatic Society. And she'd done lots and lots of work on that. So I actually said, look, Liz, the sensible thing is you write the first chapter. You know more about it than I do. And uh, so we had lots and lots of lovely information from that. And of course, as a theatre group, we started in a in one place in the town, um, which became the, the local conservative club, and they decided they wanted for themselves. So we had to find another venue. And we found this deserted warehouse on the river and converted it into the key theatre. But then because of the way funding worked, we handed that over to a separate charity. And we now we're just a group who hire the theatre like everybody else. We have a rather special relationship with it because we built it. It must have been a really interesting project, I guess. Um, did, did you uncover much about SDS that you didn't already know or were there any particularly surprising revelations in the course of your research? There were any huge surprises because, as I say, I was fairly aware of, of the things that, that went on. It was, it was, I had a lovely, lovely time. I, I went and interviewed the partner of the first director of the theatre, who was a gentleman who really did um, steer the, the, the theatre in its early, early days. And unfortunately, he died. And obviously, I didn't know very much about him. And, and to find out about him, uh, Richard Dunning, his name was, and we find out a little bit more from Paul, who was his partner, um, about how they this place, that was their life. Um, it only closed on Christmas Day. You just could feel the joy. I mean, I've heard so many stories about that time from different people. But talking to mm. Paul and getting that sense of joy that they created there and the atmosphere. I mean, for example, Paulie was telling me they had... Because they'd been so busy at Christmas and closed on Christmas Day, they used to do Christmas dinner in July and put out all the Christmas decorations and do the full Christmas dinner uh, in the middle of July so they could actually enjoy it. (laughs) It was just lovely. And uh, Richard would go up to the fringe and pick the up-and-coming names and book them from the quay before they were too expensive. So fascinating Aida used to come regularly. Uh, Julian Clary. Loads and loads and loads of really famous names have been to the King Theatre. Is the book still on, on general sale? It is indeed. You can buy it via our website, which is sudburydramatic.com, I think, or you can get it at the theatre. Now we've paid off what it cost us to produce. All the profits go to the, to the theatre, which, as you know, all theatres need 
as much as they can get hold of to get going. Turning attention to your personal history with a the theatre, can you pinpoint where your love of theatre began? I went to my first dress rehearsal in my pram. My father was a very talented musician. He talked violin, although his first instrument was viola. He had a beautiful tenor voice. And he helped found the Branch Musical Society. And I can remember seeing him on stage in the lead Nankipoo in, in Mikado. My mum, out of self-defence, started doing costumes. And for a while, she had her own costume business. My sister never really enjoyed going on stage much, although she liked choral singing. So she used to help backstage with the lights. And her husband was a lighting designer, did his degree in electrical engineering and used to build lighting boards for various pop groups and things in, back in the 80s. And yeah, it's always been there. It's always been part of my life. My first teaching certificate, I, I trained in, in dance drama. It started, as you can tell, in music, musical theatre at college when I was studying. I did more Shakespeare and, and other straight plays and since the 19. 90s. That's mostly what I've done, although I did get to play Adelaide Adams and Guys and Dolls in the early 2000s, which was just wonderful. Do you recall the first show that you attended? Um, Mikado, as I was about four. Do you remember that having a particularly lasting effect on you? I know all the words. (laughs) I can remember the words from shows from back then. I cannot remember the lines that I did last year or the year before. Yeah. So what, what, was, what was the last show that you were involved in? The, the one before Dead Guilty. Um, SDS, we do um, five plays and a panto every year. So we're in a constant rolling programme mm. of productions. So the one before, the one that we're going to talk about, was um, Under Milk Wood, which we did as, a, as a, an ensemble piece. We were all on stage for the whole time okay. and just moved in and out. We, we each had a, a hook for all our props. It was cracking. We got some smashing reviews and it was a sellout. <laughs> Under Milkwood is a, is a favourite, certainly, of the, the amateur circuit. It's the words. Mm. I guess the key is to try and make sure you do something a, a little bit more original. Yeah, it started in the dark. The first 10 minutes, quarter hour, was in the dark. We each yeah. had a handheld torch. And when anybody spoke, you, had to, you took it in turns to illuminate each other. It was just the beams of light as the dawn came up. Slowly, the lighting came on. And again, and at the end, similarly, because it ends at night time, it went dark again. Audience thought it was completely bonkers to start off with, but they really got into the swing of it once they realised what we were doing. <laughs> and um, of the, of the sounds like many, many shows that you've been involved in, um, it is always like picking a favourite child here, but is there any particular sort of high points from the, the shows that you've been involved in that you can pick out? Difficult. Obviously, some part, some parts present more of a challenge than others. I think possibly the Goneril in, in Lear was, was a challenge. Um, my late husband was, was Lear. It was the second time he played it. And um, he used to make me cry every night because he was so horrid. And on, the, on the, the opposite extreme, Adelaide Adams and Guys and Dolls, which is just a joy. Mm. It's just yeah. such fun to do. The average married female. <laughs> great <laughs> and um dare i ask how did the pandemic treat the society we gained members <laughs> did you we were doing things oh good because uh, um the guy who's directing the next play in fact 
he's an expert in satellite communication systems. And um, he made sure that we were all connected. Mm. So we did play readings every week. We did, um, when we could, when the restrictions lifted just a little bit, just enough for us to be able to perform outside, we did um, a thing called um, Shakespeare on Tour or Tour of the Key or something. It's on it's on the Key website um, where we did a, a clip of Shakespeare from every key location in the Key as a tour around the Key um, because the chair of the board, uh, of the Key board, is also a very good film director and he did the filming and put it together for us and we did that as a fundraiser we did a murder mystery evening um, where we filmed bits oh god that was complicated we filmed bits and then we all had to sit at home in costume and people could buy a ticket and at various points they could ask us questions to find out who done it that was amazing yeah, it was a challenge. <laughs> it, was say, it, it sounds challenging. It sounds, oh, it sounds quite intimidating in a way as well. <laughs> now, I'm obviously speaking to you in part to find out about SDS's latest show, Dead Guilty. What can you tell us about the show? It's a four-hander. Um, it's a psychological thriller. I was on the audition panel, so I know who's in it. <laughs> um, and we got the, the lead, uh, one of the leads is somebody who's, um, a bit like me, really. Her mum was in the society and she was brought up in the but Sudbury Dramatic Society. She was brought up in the society and she's been in loads and loads of things. I've been in loads and loads of things with her. And uh, so she's got uh, one of the leads, the, the wife of a gentleman who was killed in a car accident. And he was in the car with another woman. And she builds up a relationship with this other woman who's much younger. Um, so we've got a new member who played the much younger member. Um, and then there's a social worker and uh, um, a friend who comes around and helps out. So it's just it's the t- but it's the two women who, who their relationship and how that builds and develops uh, and what the psychological nasty is that's hiding in there um, and that you have to find out as an audience. And I'm not going to give it away. No, 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 I wouldn't expect you to. <laughs> that's, that's fine. When we choose plays, we're going through our play selection process for 2023 at the moment. People put up plays, anybody put up a play, um, and whoever puts up a play forms the ad hoc group that choose the next year's season. So, and we all read each other's plays and then we vote for them. So, um, fairly new member, he'd been in one other play with us, um, and, he, and he was in Milkwood, um, put up this play, and yeah, we said that was great. We have a system whereby if you're a new director to us, we assign a buddy, what we call a buddy, to help you with the way SDS do things um, because it, it isn't like a society where you, it's leisurely and you only do two productions a year. You know, It's pretty frenetic, full on, um, and you've got to be organised. So we make sure we've got a buddy who see, talks you through the director's handbook um, and supports you and what have you. And he was all set up and ready to go and he fell ill and he had to drop out. Um, which was a little bit unfortunate. Fortunately, two committee members, both of whom very busy, um, said, we'll, we'll do it between us. And, and, and Adam's done most of it. Adam's taken the bulk of the responsibility and is now nominally the, um, the director. So it's been a bit exciting. <laughs> Just um, with, with regard to the selection process over play, so did, did the original director that fell ill, um, was it him that selected that play to perform? Yes. 
yeah, yeah he wanted to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. so it was very much his project. That and his vision. And, you know, yeah. we had to, then we had to decide how much of his vision we could take forward, not knowing, you know, not knowing it completely, mm-hmm. uh, and what we had to tweak and, and make Adam's piece of work so that he can have ownership of it. It was yeah. quite tricky. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the finished product anyway. Where can we buy tickets? You can buy tickets from the uh, Key website, uh, Key at Sudbury. Um, on, the, on the website, they've got a ticket serve type uh, tool by, where, whereby you can book things. Um, you will probably, uh, other than probably Friday night, I wouldn't risk leaving Friday night blank, but if any other night, you could well be able to pick up an odd ticket or two. Um, they don't often completely sell out, other than, as, other than I say, Friday is incredibly popular. Um, but more and more people tend to book at the last minute. So if you're quick off the mark, you can get a ticket. Yeah. Okay, well, that, that wraps things up. So um, th- thanks very much for your time, Sarah. That's okay. That's okay. We'll look forward to seeing you. So there we have it. That was Sarah Knight. You can watch Dead Guilty between the 5th and 9th of July at the Key Theatre in Sudbury. As well as tickets for the show, you can also purchase the book that Sarah wrote about the group on their website, sudburydramatic.com. Now, what else is coming up at the region in the next few weeks? Well, Galston Theatre Company are looking for auditionees for their October production of Stephen Sondheim's Sweeney Todd. The chorus auditions take place on the 14th of July and you can book a slot by emailing geniekincaid at gmail.com. That's genie spelt J-E-A-N-N-I-E and Kincaid is K-I-N-K-A-I-D. Failing that, of course, have a look at their Facebook page for more details. Over in Ely, Campaign Amateur Theatre are hosting an intro night and auditions for their production of Elf, the musical, set to be staged in November. The intro night is on the 3rd of July in the Kempen Room at the Maltings in Ely, and auditions will also take place at the Maltings on the 16th of July. In Peterborough, Mask Theatre are bringing Shakespeare to the park with a production of Romeo and Juliet. You, you may have heard of it. It's on from the 6th to the 9th of July and is hosted at Neen Park, where they have an outdoor stage and tiered seating. And finally, in Norwich, Sound Ideas Theatre Company are revving their engines, ready to bring Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, to the Playhouse stage. They're taking that battered old bus for a ride from the 5th to the 10th of July. Tickets are selling fast on this one, so make sure you don't miss the bus. As usual, I'll feature links for the shows mentioned on the Facebook and Twitter accounts. And that's about it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Oh, and here's a note for all um, local theatre companies. If you could please stop opening or closing your shows on the 6th, 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 on the 6th day of each month, and that would be helpful, because as you can tell, I have a real problem saying the number 6 when referring to the day of the month. 6th, 6th. Anyway, tune in next time for a, well... Possibly a review of something I've seen. Maybe an update of what I've been up to. Who knows? The possibilities are endless and equally exciting. In the meantime, take care of yourselves and go watch some theatre. Bye. <laughs>